Mop Pimpo Aiti, the Haitian diaspora living in the Haiti podcast. This is Christian C. Genty, your host, and I'm with the one and only pastor. You already know, Mark Antoine. As my uh, gracious co-host, and we're here to provide another episode where the goal here is to talk directly to you out there in Haitian diaspora living wherever you may be, maybe in America, maybe in Canada, maybe in Chile, France, wherever it may be, and you can and you want to engage and you want to learn more about what it means to uh, be a Haitian who perhaps perhaps you were born there but spent a lot of time away and looking to come back. Perhaps you were never born there. want to learn and come back. want to maximize your chance to be successful, to be happy, to enjoy your time. And we the goal is to bring others who have done the transition. I've done the transition. Our co-host Mark has done the transition. And bring others to also share their experience and break down every aspect, every detail from yeah. their experiences every week. Does that sound about right to you, Mark? That sounds great. That sounds great. <laughs> really, really excited for this show today, and I really hope it will give a lot of resources and inspiration to our listeners. Awesome, awesome. So our guest, I'm so happy for this. I, I you know, this is the guy who, I mean, when I first thought about this show, there was a handful of guys I knew and women who I knew that I, I wanted to get on, and Pascal Antoine, my first guest, is one of those guys. He's someone who, from my my day one, I remember I was in the airport heading to Haiti, and another good associate of mine who knew of of, Mar, of of Pascal said, you know, this is a guy you want to reach out. Here's his number. Just reach out, text him. And out the blue, I text him, and and another in the airport, we're having a conversation about tips and tricks and how to transition. So when I knew when I had, I'm going to start this show. I knew this was one of those guys I had to get on and share the wealth of knowledge he had. Cause I know he's open. I know he's knowledgeable. So without much further ado, Pascal Antoine, listen, how are you doing, brother? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing well, good, well. man. <laughs> good. And, there's, and there's, another, there's another Antoine in the house. What's yes, going sir. on? Representing for the Antoine. <laughs> Two Antoine. It's going to be a crazy show today. I'm going to tell you right now. It's going to be a crazy show. <laughs> and just for the record... You guys aren't related, right? You, you know, no, no, as far as I know, we're not. As far as I know, we're not related. Yeah, you know, but you never know, man. You never know. You never know, exactly. You never know. And and what's what's great? Uh, so Pascal, a little bit about his background. Uh, he started this. You know, he worked in New York for a little bit. I'll, I'll let him break it down to, to to us in a moment. But I just want to say, Haiti Exchange, an institution. I know a lot of you guys may know Pascal already. From Haiti Exchange, it's, it's, it's a, it was an online forum that transitioned to an online platform, and and he engaged in a lot of what I do uh, on CGMT and a lot of my other media, which is engaging the Haitian diaspora with issues directly as it relates to Haiti in in the larger sense, and also Haiti in Haiti. And so, uh, as someone who uh, was looking to get in this media, running across your concept, Pascal, again another inspirational thing. Right. So thanks for, for, for what you did. You're welcome. Uh, You're absolutely welcome. And, and just for folks to know, the, the, the goal of this conversation today is we're going to, you know, talk about Pascal and, and, and his background. We're going to then talk about Pascal's going to share with us a lot of the tips and tricks and, and, and sort of strategies in terms of readjusting some of the big shocks that he had to overcome and, and, and some of the shocks he sees other people, uh, and, and sharing from that perspective because he has a background as a fixer. So again, he'll talk about all that. And then finally, the, the last piece is really about the professional aspect, the media aspect for folks who are looking to come to Haiti and, and engage in some sort of media capacity, maybe as a videographer, maybe as a journalist, maybe as a storyteller, maybe as 
um, whatever may be, um, maybe perhaps even in the arts and as a musician or something, you know, he has, he's touched, he's made music videos for artists. So, so he's going to touch about how to be successful in that media domain to wrap us up. All right. So again, stay tuned. Don't change that dial. We're going to be, it's going to be a really great episode. <laughs> so Pascal, break it down to you. Who are you? Where did you come from? And bring it from the beginning all the way to we Antoine to, to Big Antoine who then decided to make that transition. So all right, let me start. From, let me start from my early days. A lot of people don't know I was um, I was actually I was born in France, okay, and came over to the United States when I was very young, um, and basically grew up in New York City. Uh, from a very young age, I've always been into either the performing arts or the media arts, and I remember when I was a when I was really young, begging my parents for, and I'm going to give my age away, begging my parents for a Super 8 camera. This is before video. I begged for, yeah, Super 8 camera. Um, every year I would beg, especially my mom, I would beg her for a camera, and they just thought I was too young to get one. And finally, um, at the age of 12, um, I got one, and instead of doing the regular, you know, filming somebody's birthday or filming some, you know, whatever. Um, I was organizing people and we did these little videos, these mini movies. Oh. And I remember for some reason at that age, I was into these disaster movies. I, it, way back in the day, Chris, <laughs> you were probably not even born yet. They were, you know, they were the uh, earthquake and all these disaster movies, which for whatever reason I got into. And I would try to kind of emulate those. And, you know, I'd take the camera and, 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 and shake it and pretend there was an earthquake going on and, and have my friends run around and we did UFO type movies and all types of stuff like that. But that, that's how I got into the, the whole, uh, the whole, the whole sort of media game. That, that's what interested me, uh, from the very beginning, from the very beginning. Fast forward a little bit, um, I eventually went to Stuyvesant High School in, in, in New York City, which was a, <clears throat> Which is a science, top, top science high school in New York. And after that, I went to MIT where I, <laughs> where I started out in engineering, uh, but graduated with a degree in what they call visual science. And it was very interesting because this was right before the internet really started popping. And I really, I don't have to be honest with you, I graduated not really sure what I was going to do. And the minute I graduated, the internet really started, started taking form. And I said to myself, wow. I, you know, I sort of graduated at the right time in the right field, in the field that really interested me and just went gun ho into internet technology, taught myself HTML, started doing websites and, and stuff like that. But professionally, I wasn't working in media yet. Professionally, during those days, I was working as a project manager in, um, my longest, I was at a, was at a bank, uh, <clears throat> Was a, the bank of, uh, was a chain bank in New York as a project manager, uh, heading people doing web-based, uh, web-based, uh, applications and things of that nature. And eventually, uh, in 2008, um, I branched off and started doing my own thing and really started getting into media production, which is my first love. Really started getting into media production. In 1999, uh, I took my first trip to Haiti as an adult. I had been to Haiti several times as a kid, um, long time ago, uh, during the Papa Doc days. Um, but as an adult, I hadn't been there throughout the entire 80s. I'd never been there. I always used to watch these little snippets of Haiti on television, and, and I was always very curious 
as to what it was like to be there and, and stuff like that. In 1999, a friend of mine moved uh, to Haiti, and I said to myself, um, wow, this is my chance to actually, to actually visit Haiti and see what it's really like and see it for myself. And I remember calling him up, and I said, listen, you're, you're in Haiti now. I want to come visit you. And he said, um, <laughs> he said, and, and this was during the Aristide days, oh. and I remember him telling me, so he said, okay, well, come on over, and uh, when you get out of the airport, don't listen to anybody. Just look for me. Just look for me. You know, don't get into any random car. Just look for me. And this was the these were the days of the remember the, the Zanglezu. People, people were robbing you know, streets. There were carjackings. I mean, everything was going on. So I'm in the plane going to Haiti, just wondering. And I remember this was summer 1999. Didn't know what I was going to find. And um, I remember seeing it from above for the first time, seeing it from the plane. And I was like, wow, this is really it's really peaceful and it's beautiful. And the lower and lower I got, I was looking at homes which were half built with coconut trees growing out of the living room. And I'm like, where am I headed to? And, I, and people on the plane too were telling me, were telling me, oh, 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 why am I going to Haiti now? Why am I going to Haiti now? So all, I have all these, you know, you, you miss a country when it was really good. So all these ideas and all these, you know, so I started worrying, literally. I started worrying. Where am I going? What am I, what have I gotten myself into? And I remember landing and this was like the airport wasn't made up the way it is now. There was no air conditioning. There were big fans near, near the belt where people used, you know, near, near the, uh, what do you call it? The belt where you go pick up your luggage and people were fighting and, and, and stuff like that. I'm like, where the heck am I? And I left the, <laughs> and I left the airport and my friend was there waiting for me. And we got into his car and drove off. And I looked around and I'm like, wow, this is not the Haiti that I remember when oh. I was a kid. This is not the same Haiti at all. And I remember my friend had a friend of his in the car and he's looking me up and down. He's looking me up and down. And I'm really, I'm a simple guy. You know, there's the, the stereotype of the diaspora going to Haiti and yeah. we'll get who will get you dressed up, you got Louis Vuitton on, you got all this stuff on. I'm I had a t shirt and, and some shorts on. I'm like, you know, whatever. I'm not trying to fake the funk for anybody or trying to show off or anything. And this guy, my friend's friend, is in the car looking at me, really looking at me up and down. And I'm like, what's wrong? Why are you looking at me like that? He says, Oh, you're a Jasper? I'm like, We said Jasper, I'm here. Yeah, I'm a Jasper. He says, mm. Oh, I'm well sent. Oh, you're so simple. <laughs> I'm like, what, what did you expect? I'm like, you don't have any gold on, you don't have anything. I'm like, no, you know the country's messed up. Why am I going to come to the country? Like, you know, I'm not trying to show off. I just want to be really simple, be really inconspicuous. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to take any chances going to Haiti. And I, that first trip, I remember, because I was so unsure of where I was going and what I was going to do, I made sure the trip was only five days long. Okay, mm-hmm. I did a very brief period of time. I didn't know what I was going to find. The very first day, I was very, I was full of anxiety, didn't know where I was. I mean, I looked like the people, I spoke the language, but aside from that, I was really lost. The second day, I started feeling more comfortable. Uh, third day was good. Fourth day, my friend surprised me with a trip. We drove all the way up to the, Cid- to the Citadel. Wow. First, first time to the Citadel. And back then, the roads even though the roads are not that great now, I know they're doing a lot of, uh, they've made a lot of improvement, but back then the roads were atrocious. 
the uh, roads were it was like real, literally it was like driving on the moon from <laughs> you know, <laughs> from um uh, from uh Arcaille all the way up to all the way up to 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 Capaisien, to Capaisien, uh-huh. right on the moon. The roads were unpaved, and the whole land it was, it was, it was terrible. It was yeah. terrible, and I remember like thinking, I'm never going to do this again. But it all paid off. You know, I went to the Citadel. Um, we raced back to Port-au-Prince um, overnight to, because I had a flight to catch the next day, and I caught that flight, came back to um, New York where I was living at the time. And that trip changed my life. It oh. absolutely changed my life. I remember getting back to the States and being in the car, my sister, being in the car with my sister, and I kept them. I had, all of a sudden, I was listening to all this Haitian music. <laughs> <laughs> you got bit by the bug, it sounds like. You got bit by the bug. That's it. I got bit. And my sister, I kind of remember her saying, oh, yeah, maybe it's a phase. I don't know. And I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't know why, but I don't think. I don't think it's a phase. I don't think it's a phase. And shortly after that, I started um, um, HaitiExchange.com, which was just a simple web page where I just kind of explained my experiences. And I realized that people were very interested in, in Haiti Exchange. Uh, and that prompted me to make it a lot more serious, a lot more uh, robust. And it turned into one of the first Haitian forum website, really, mm-hmm. really early mm-hmm. on in the game. And back in those days, this is the the early 2000s, uh, mm-hmm. late 90s. There were uh, big monster websites like Sakapet.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a lot of other other websites. You know, this was a new technology. Everybody was getting into it. Um, and we were really, I think, in the forefront. Uh, our, our numbers were really high back then. Um, and it was fun, I, you know. But I had a, I had a job. I was working from nine to five, and then from five to three o'clock in the morning, I would do Haiti Exchange. Um, the big turning point for me was uh, just let me back up a little bit. What I would do basically, because the internet in Haiti was not as robust as it is now. So what I would do is um, I would post a lot of stories. I would keep in touch with people in Haiti, post a lot of interesting articles and things like that. And it was always associated with a with a conversation forum, with a discussion forum. And I would go to Haiti often um, for, for big events, for a carnival, for get, for um, uh, for Sodo, for these big events. I would go to Haiti for these events, take pictures, and I would rush back to New York and post them mm-hmm. and post them online. Um, the big turning point for me, there were two big turning points. I had sponsored a carnival group, uh, Juarezil. I don't know if you remember them or heard about them. This was in the early 2000s. Um, Juarezil, they had a monster, monster hit called Panampale Francais. Oh. Um, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, I think that was the name. I think it was the name. But uh, a friend of mine, a guy who worked for TN National Television, uh, National d'Haïti, National Television Station, he asked me if I wanted to sponsor their carnival, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. I, you know, and I, I sent over some money so they could, you know, kind of, kind of sponsor them, and so they could make a video and stuff like that. When I got to Haiti for that particular carnival, that the song was all over the place. The song was wow. all 
over the place. It was absolutely popular. There were Banapier, the foot bands they were playing in the street. I had no idea. I sort of just kind of sponsored them because they were French, because their manager was a friend of mine. And it was one of the best things I, I did, because even now, when people hear Haiti Exchange in Haiti, they, they usually associate it with the group Guadazil. Oh, you guys sponsored Guadazil. You guys are with the group Guadazil. Um, you know, so that was really interesting. The other big turning point was uh, the earthquake. Now, during the earth, I, when the earthquake happened, I was working in in in, uh, in Midtown Manhattan um, again, working during the day and doing Haiti Exchange at night. And I remember that day really well because I was at, I was in my office and I got a ping on my phone that said massive earthquake in. And in my mind, I'm thinking I'm going to read this. I'm going to say the Philippines or somewhere in somewhere else, somewhere in Asia or whatever. You know, somewhere really far away that had nothing to do with me, and it's in Port-au-Prince. And oh. I was just, I my jaw dropped. My jaw dropped. I grabbed my coat. I oh. left the office. My colleagues, everybody looked at me. They're like, "Scott, what's wrong? What's wrong?" And I swear, in that, in two seconds, I turned like mad Haitian. In like two seconds, my country has and I left. I didn't want to hear anybody. I left the office. I got on the subway, and I remember the train was moving at regular speeds, but for me, it was just going too slow. It was going, it was just moving way too slow. And I finally got home, and I got onto the Haiti Exchange website, and <clears throat> I got into the forum, and it was just overflowing. And I got an email from the people who managed the ISP, the internet service provider that I was dealing with. And they said, we have to restart the server. They said, that's like, what's going on? We have to restart just this, your server, you know, four times because it crashed four times. I'm like, there's been a major earthquake in Haiti. That's why the server's been crashing. He's like, fine, you know, we're going to stand by it. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna monitor it. We're going to put you, we're going to even migrate you to a larger server. Uh, because this is a really, this is really important news. Mm. And that night, um, that evening, I started a live stream. Um, and I remember, just to, talk, just to talk about it, just to bring everybody together <clears throat> and talk about what was going on. So I started this live video stream and I, my cap was like 10,000 people. And I think I reached the cap, you know, within the first nine minutes, I reached yeah. 10,000 people and people were sending me DMs direct messages and they were calling me saying, we can't get on, we can't, because I'm like, keep on trying. When people fall off, you'll be able to get on. Mm. And I talked and talked and I remember, it was very emotional. Somebody sent me a picture of the crushed National Palace mm. and I cried online, literally. I just thought, I, I lost it. I lost it. Wow. That was the first picture. That was what really let me see what kind of an event this was. And I had just mm -hmm. been in Haiti, you know, in December. And this happened in January. I was just in Haiti, but right before Christmas, that prior December. Um, and to see, you know, this, this, uh, the National Palace that everybody knew about, that everybody always saw, to see it in the state that it was, I just started crying online. And I was online till about four o'clock in the morning. I was broadcasting till four o'clock in the morning until somebody called me up and said, Pascal, you're tired. You're uh -huh. tired. Just get Take, get some rest. We don't care that you're not going to be streaming. Get some rest, and you'll do this tomorrow again if you want to. And I just, I turned off the stream. I, I signed off, and I, I went to sleep. Woke up the next day, uh, went to work, 
explain to people at the job what was going on. And uh, and for the, for the next week, I was doing a live stream every single evening after work. I was doing a live stream. Um, and literally a week after the earthquake, I hopped on a plane um, and went, oh, I, I finally realized that my friend, I actually looked on Google Maps because of the earthquake. They had updated all their Haiti pictures, all their Haiti aerial views. I looked on the map. I saw that my friend's house didn't look damaged, but I couldn't, I, I couldn't reach him. I couldn't reach him. Finally, I reached him. He said, everything's okay. And I said, listen, I'm coming over. I'm coming down. Um, I hopped on a flight. I couldn't find any flights uh, into Port-au-Prince because the airport was closed. Went to the Dominican Republic. It was my first time <laughs> in the Dominican Republic. Um, spent the night there and hopped on a bus um, to Haiti. Hopped on wow. a bus to Haiti and spent the next, and I had planned on being in Haiti for the next two weeks and then coming back to the States. Um, but it was so crazy. And at, mind you, at the time I was a consultant, so I kind of made my own hours. I was very free with my time. Um, and it just turned out that I didn't have a particular project at that, at that time. And I had planned on staying in Haiti for maybe about, maybe about two weeks. And I kept on, and I, I ended up staying for about three months. I ended up staying for about three months. What American Airlines had done at the time is that they were not, um, charging any kind of change fees for people who were going down to Haiti. They were, they weren't charging anything. Um, so I kept on calling them and I kept on, Extending my stay, I kept on, um, you know, you know, kept on ex- extending my stay. And finally, at the beginning of March, I called them and they said, "Mr. Antoine, you know, we'll change your dates this one last time. <laughs> we'll change it this one last time. We're not going to be able to change it anymore." I'm like, "Okay, I promise. This time, I'm really, I'm really going to go back. I'm really going to go back." And that gave me my first taste of living in Haiti for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. And I remember after that thinking to myself, "Wow." I would like to try to live in Haiti a little longer. But I was thinking, you know, maybe, you know, for another, like for six months or something. That was, that's what was in my head at that time. Uh, I came back to the States. Didn't go back to Haiti until I think that September or maybe even like November. Came back to the States. And eventually, um, I always had this idea of trying to live in Haiti. And eventually, I... Ended up living in Haiti for about five years, where wow. I did Haiti experience from Haiti, and I did it for about five years, um, which was really nice. It was a, that was a very eye-opening experience. I learned more about Haiti than I had ever, <clears throat> even while I was doing Haiti exchange. Um, the kind of projects that I get brought me all over the country. I worked, uh, I worked for CSI, the Centre de Facilitation d'Investissement, Centre for Facilitation of Investments. Um, even though I told myself, you know, you're going to go there, you're going to do your own thing, you're never going to get a nine to five. But I was there for a good year and a half. I got gigs with OABCT, which is the state-run insurance company, did a long PSA for them, um, met a lot of people, uh, finally got my staff together. It was very challenging and eye-opening, pay, paid my taxes in Haiti, <laughs> which is a story in, it, a story in itself. Um, and my last big project, oh, did music videos for, uh, for people, a lot of, a couple of whom have become very big. Um, and my last gig in Haiti, uh, before I came back to the States was a couple of documentary slash PSAs that I did for USAID, which mm-hmm. were very interesting. 
they're very interesting to work on. But at the end of the game, at the end of the whole thing, um, it was just, it was very draining. That's, <clears throat> that's why, Chris, I'm so impressed with what you're doing. And I'm like, more power to you. Keep it going. Haiti is very draining. And I decided, you know, I don't want to give up on Haiti, but I don't necessarily want to live in Haiti. So I left Haiti about two years ago, came back to the States. I'm physically, right now I'm in Florida. Um, but since then, I've been to Haiti. I go to Haiti every <laughs> at least three times a year. Last year, actually, I was in Haiti more than I was in the States mm-hmm. and even had plans on being in Haiti now. And if it weren't for um, for coronavirus, uh, yeah. which we messed up mine and everybody else's plans, that's where I would be right now. So in a nutshell, that was more a little more than a nutshell. That's my experience in Haiti. Um wow. I had to do it all over. Yes, I would do it all over. And again, I haven't given up at all, at all on Haiti. I just want to do it with more infrastructure, with more, with more, um, with a lot more available to me. So I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm at the phase in my life and my career now where I'm trying to make it work from the states. And, from the states. And that's, and that's why I wanted to you you on here, Pascal, because mm-hmm. you know you you've been you really been there for a very long stretch, you know, five yeah. years. But even even after that point when you when you weren't there, you were still in and out often, you know, more times than Absolutely. not. And and you're yeah. always to and I think you're 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 almost just just about there, which is have one foot in Haiti, one foot in in, in America. I tell you people can, I wanted to the best of both worlds. Yeah, exactly, exactly, right? And so this way you can still impact and affect and do things in the country uh, within your domain, but then still be able to go back and, and, and have that, you know, a lot of things, again, you grew up a certain way and, and there's some right. certain nuances, obviously, when you leave anywhere that you want to keep. And so, and so right. I wanted you on here because you, you really give that full life of, 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 of what it means. Cause, you know, you know, I don't want it, uh, you know, Haitian Dash for podcast. I don't want it to make it seem as if, yeah, you move there and everything's fine and dandy. No, there's some real challenges. That's why I don't want, I want folks from a lot of different perspectives here Lots to, of to, to, yeah. to give it the, we, we don't want you necessarily to be the one to discover on yourself. We want to have a full repertoire of what's going to, what's going to happen to you so you can approach and attack it the right way, right? And so given that you've kind of been through this entire road of experience and now that you're in this space, space where, you know, let's be honest, Haiti is very fatiguing. I mean, I can tell you, I've been many times myself, and I know Mark can speak the same with way where I've been tired. You know, I've yeah. been, I've been totally, honestly, Haiti it's, it's challenging. It's totally but then, challenging. But then we wake up the next morning and we're like, well, we got to get to work, got to get back to what we're doing here. <laughs> and we got to reset ourselves and the constant, the constant yeah. resetting. And, and, um, and so even myself, I, I can tell you my, my long-term vision ultimately, obviously is to spend Next, at least ten years, at least fully, you know, rooted in Haiti. But then, around the time when my I don't have kids yet, but you know, when my kids are probably fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, approaching that high school near college, probably start looking at how can we get ourselves situated uh, in, in a stateside, me, my wife, and my kids, uh, so they can transition properly into collegiate life, right. which will be stateside, right? But still have a very strong foot. You know, have my ventures be set up in a way where I don't have to be there physically to run things. I can run them remotely for uh-huh. a few, a few weeks or a few months and then go back and be there, right? So just to be frank, so everyone has an understanding, even myself, I'm looking for a two feet off solution down the road long term, yeah. right? Um, and there's nothing wrong with that because again, the goal really is, is to have a, a very strong pipeline where folks feel engaged in all aspects from social, economic, political, and providing their expertise, whatever it may be, 
to helping the the social economic condition of mm-hmm. Haiti, and that's ultimately the goal. So so thanks for providing that input. Was there was there anything in that mark and in, in what and in, in everything you just shared that really kind of was a uh, a how or very interesting to you, Mark? Anything you want to? Yeah, one of one of the one of the things is kind of earlier on in 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 your presentation, Pascal, was when you were talking about your the way you grew up in New York mm-hmm. um, yeah. and about the camera that you bought and, you know, the films that you were making with friends. My mm-hmm. question to you is, I mean, you said your family has been there for quite a while. Yeah, um, yeah, my family, yeah, my family moved over in the late 60s. The late 60s, so you, you're mm-hmm. probably one of the, you know, earlier generation Haitians yeah. to be over there. Um, how How does a Haitian-American kid get interested into technology back in those days? Now, in these days with the Internet um, and now that we've had different, you know, several generations, Haitian kids nowadays are very diverse um, right. in what we're studying and what we're learning. And we have Haitian-American kids who are studying all types of things. Right. But yeah. back then, perhaps it was not <laughs> as common. So how, how did, how did yeah, that come was, about? I'll, I'll tell you how that came about. It, you're right. It wasn't that common. Right now it's very affordable. You see it everywhere. Everyone's on social media. Uh, there was no internet when I was growing up. So yeah, no, it, it, so it wasn't a common thing to do. But what inspired me, and I don't think I've ever told this publicly, when I was a kid, I remember watching cartoons. And I, I, there was one particular cartoon, I'm definitely dating myself. There was a cartoon called Beetle Bailey. And I remember watching that and trying to, and I was a kid, and I was trying to figure out how they do that. How do they do that? Mm-hmm. And I something just lit up in my brain and I said, you know what, I'm not sure how they do it, but I'm sure it's it's different images that they put together, that they mm-hmm. flash in front of my face very quickly. I kind of figured that out on my own and then, you know, I, I verified it after doing some reading or, or something else that I saw. And there was also a particular episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood mm-hmm. that I watched once where he taught and for those who don't know, a very popular kids' show um, back in the day. And he showed us how to make a flip book where you take a pad of paper and you draw on the paper. You draw on each paper and you change the image slightly and you could do a little flip book cartoon. And that blew me away. So my mother at the time, she worked for MCI in Manhattan. And, you know, they had a lot of stationery around. And one of the things that they always had were little pads of paper. And I would always beg her to bring home pads of paper so that I could make little flip books. So every once in a while, you know, she she just cut them from the job, obviously. She would bring home these pads of paper and I would make these little cartoon, little cartoon flip books. And eventually that got me interested in... In, in filmmaking, animation, and and all types of things, and you know, my earlier works were these little anime. I have to look for them. I don't know where they are now, but these little animated movies um, that I made. I, even one year, I went to um, I enrolled in the State University of New York in Rochester. They had a summer school for kids to make films. I, I think yeah, to make films. And I went there and I did an animation. Uh-huh. And I, that kind of taught me and showed me that, wow, this is really what you enjoy doing. This is really, really what you enjoy doing. And it's nice. I look at the stuff that I did back then. 
and you know, and you compare it to the, and the stuff that I did now, and yeah, there's a whole big, lots of improvement, obviously, but um, I could see, clearly see my past and my interest in this. And even when I was in school, even when I was, you know, I went to MIT. It's not a school, uh, it's not a filmmaking school, but whenever we had a final project for classes or whatever, I would go to the professor and I would ask, can I do this in form of a, a video or a movie? Or And whenever they allowed me to do that, that's how I would present my final project. Uh-huh. I would always present it in the form of, you know, something visual, which is what I'm just, uh-huh. I've always been, I've always, that's what I've always done. Uh-huh. That's what I've always and um, yeah, so that's that. Good stuff. Yeah. Very, very interesting. And that's a, that's an important question to ask because I, I remember myself. I, you know, I'm in this data technology domain, not only as a consultant, but also with my businesses. I'm very much, you know, in this outsourcing space, leveraging technology to to, to 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 you know export my employees' capacities to the world. You know, I, I reason I never get got into it earlier. I went to the track of more of a traditional economist. I was working in banking for quite some time was because I didn't yeah. see anybody who looked like me uh, right. in technology. I saw Bill Gates and, and uh, Steve Jobs. They don't look nothing like me. And I was like, yeah, oh, that, right. that's, <laughs> that's an important question to ask. So we're certainly happy you did go in that direction. Now, now, when you were in uh, in Haiti and, and you transitioned, um, you know, first off, I, you know, it's interesting that you you know you you left inspired after coming in after an earthquake because to me I don't know I, I, the, from what I've seen and heard and and you know the devastation was so complete you know I'm just curious you know to step into your mind and 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 just, you know be in that utter devastation but yet still come back and, and you said you were bitten despite that how how does that work how do you we have to understand also, prior to the earthquake, I had been going to Haiti for almost 10 years. I was always going, I was always back and forth. So it was almost like a second home. I was very used to it, even though my trips were never longer than three or four weeks. Even if it was four weeks, usually it was just two weeks because you know, that's all I had off from work. Um, um, I was there very often. I was there very often. So I was already used to it. So when the earthquake happened, it was just, you know, I mean, the first thing, I mean, I just had to go. I just had to be there. And I think a lot of other Haitians felt the same way. And when I did go there, and when I saw, I mean, I never, you know, the country was just upside down. And I, the first thing, I was like, I got, I've got to be here longer. I've got to stay here longer. I've got to even, you know, that was the impetus to see, to even explore um, relocating to Haiti, which is what I ended up doing. That was the spark so did that, you feel like a sort of degree of like you felt responsible like you felt you really wanted to be there but to do what to, to help a part of the change or, or what to help you be part of the there? change okay helping everyone was talking about the change mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i thought that was a perfect time to be there because remember when that happened everybody's like okay good this is a blessing in disguise it is going to change now it is mm-hmm. going to you know not to mention that i'm very disappointed in what i see today mm-hmm. but that was the that was an overarching idea back then. Everyone thought that, wow, Haiti's going to change now. And I'm, I'm like, no, I want to be part of the change. I can't just be looking at Haiti on the sidelines. Um, and, um, yeah, so that really, that's what got me to really live in Haiti. And the five years, almost six years that I spent in Haiti, I mean, those were the most inspiring and eye-opening uh, five years, five and a half years of my life. Those are absolutely in my eyes, and mm-hmm. I can say the I see mm-hmm. I don't think I don't. Nobody could tell me anything now. All these old diaspora who would 
calling mm-hmm. me up and telling me oh, you should do this. You should, you have, you got, dude, you haven't been to Haiti in 20 years. Yeah. You can't tell me nothing. A timeline. So you, so you did five years. And yeah. then, and then that would be what up until what 2016, 2015. Oh, yeah, I came back to the states. What is it? Mm-hmm. 2020. Mm-hmm. And then even then, so when you were when you when you, when you quote unquote left, like what were you yeah. doing? Did you like get a, a consulting gig stateside for a little bit, or were when, you still sort of coming back? No, when I, when when I, I yeah, well, I left Haiti in uh, 2016, uh, 2017, um, right after my last big gig with. Uh, uh, with USAID. Um, and when I came back to the States, um, I freelanced. I did a lot of, uh, freelance work. Um, voiceover work, uh, which could be very lucrative sometimes. Um, and one of the things that I started doing a little before I left, a friend of mine from Europe, he was in Haiti, his first time in Haiti, and he looked at me and he said, you know, Pascal, you know, if you, and I was complaining about sometimes, you know, between gigs, it would take, it would take a little while. Um, and you guys are still there, right? Yeah, we're still here. You're still here. <laughs> Go ahead. Sometimes, sometimes it would take a little while between between gigs. And what he he, he said, Pascal, you would make a good fixer. I had no idea what a fixer was. Um, I knew about the concept, but really didn't know that it was so organized or what it was. And a fixer is basically somebody who is in a country, usually a country that's hard to either get into or get around in. Um, uh, and, and journalists usually hire fixers to help out with writing articles. You're basically the guide, the person's guide, who will come into the country and, for some sort of a, a project, either a, a Either a press project, a project with the press, or something, uh, or or an audio visual project. And my friend looked at me. He said, "Well, you know, you speak English really well. You know the country. You know the language. You know the the, the culture. You'd be really good." So I basically uh, signed up to a, a, a fixer website and mm-hmm. almost immediately started getting phone calls to become to help people with their projects. So usually I would have my project that I was working on, and I would be helping out with other people's projects too. And my latest project um, in Haiti, a big project, which was, I'm still waiting to come out, actually two of them, was one with the Travel Channel. Um, oh. That was last year. I went to Haiti. Um, uh, I actually started helping them even, ever, even from the States. I, I was helping them with logistics, with, uh, with, with everything, with basically everything. Um, and we got to Haiti. Now, this was a huge, huge production. Um, we filmed, uh, we did 90% of our filming in the north of Haiti, around uh, Capaïtien. Um, and it's for a project that should be coming out. You know, I don't know. A lot of the big uh, production companies have altered their schedules because of the pandemic. So I'm not sure when it's going to come out. Um, but it's a travel channel show um, called Buried Worlds. And, um, you know, we'll wait and see when it comes out. We'll wait and see when it comes out. That was a very interesting project. Another interesting project I worked on, and I actually came back to the States and went right back to Haiti um, right after that with a professor from Montreal who was doing a project on on Zorokin, um, the big 4 by 4 vehicles um, that you see driving around Port-au-Prince yeah. all the time. Yeah. And it, it's a, it, I believe it's going to be a kind of artsy film, um, but we drove around and we interviewed really not celebrities, but very well-known people in politics and things like that inside of a Zorkin, 
which was very which was very interesting. And mm. we were filming this during the political unrest that was going on at the end of last year, at the end of 2019. Mm. So it was very quote unquote dangerous. Uh, they almost didn't go. I thought they were gonna. I thought they were going to uh, cancel it. Um, and they, you know, we were on a on a conference call, on a Skype call, and I said, Pascal, we're going to call you back because things were really de- deteriorating in Haiti. You know, they're like, we're having some concerns. We're going to call you back to let you know whether or not we're still going. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, that's that. This one, this is done. We're not. I'm not going to Haiti anymore. And they call me back the next day and they're like, yeah, we're going. So I had to pack and 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 go to Haiti during this rough time. And we did. We stayed at a in a hotel in in Chanumas, which is sort of ground zero of all the unrest. And eventually, demonstrations, we flaming barricades, I mean, the whole nine. Um, and uh, we eventually moved from there. But we were in Haiti for a good, wow, I think almost two weeks um, yeah. going through all of this. It was really, really challenging. And I'm really happy to say I got a an email from the director, from the professor, uh, two days ago. Who said, you know, he's, he's in the middle of, he's in post-production now, he's editing the video. I'm actually, I actually appear in the video several times. Um, and he told me that it looks like it's going to be really good. He just wanted to know how I was and how I was hand holding up during the pandemic and stuff like that. So this is something else I'm, you know, waiting to, I'm waiting to, to see this come out. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be very, very interesting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to that. It's very, sounds yeah, very yeah. interesting. Uh, so, so there's a lot of, um, aspects and I, we're basically full circle. Like we're basically get to where, how you came in and where you're at, right? Right now. And basically you're looking, you're, you're basically in that space where you're probably still doing these sort of freelance stuff, right. but then you're also, you know, anytime, you know, an opportunity comes about. But yeah, I'm even, I'm sure COVID has totally derailed any of that. You completely, know, completely. Um, you gotta keep busy. You gotta keep busy. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. So, so, you know, I'm curious now, you know, in terms of, you know, what you would advise people looking to transition into the country. First off, you know, let me ask, like, if, you know, how do you evaluate somebody who approaches you in the first place? Like, if, if someone just out the blue call, hits you up and says, hey, I'm looking to, to, to move back, like, how do you treat, uh, how do you try to evaluate, is this person totally naive? Or is this person have any real chance of, 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 of transitioning and, and and succeeding versus someone who, when you when you hear a little bit more about them, okay, well, this person's probably going to be all right. And then and then and then, how do you advise that person? So how do you how do you go about it? A lot of people who ask me about moving to Haiti, whether or not they should do it, and stuff like that. Um, but more often than not, um, they don't ask me. They just tell me, oh, yeah, I'm going to move into Haiti, and this is what I'm going to do, and that, yeah, I'm going to do this, that, and the other thing. And mm-hmm. if their plans sound really kind of grand grandiose and uh, unrealistic, I just let them know. I mean, I had somebody call me once. He's like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm going to go to Haiti. I'm going to start a company. Um, I'll be there for, uh, maybe three or four months and then I'll be in the States. And I'm like, dude, mm. it don't work <laughs> like that. You know, it wow. it wow. does not work like that. So there is a lot, even from people who were born in Haiti, you spend a lot of time in the States and you forget. You yeah, forget how sure. things were and how, what it, or either that or you don't realize how much it changed, how much things changed. And your people are used to the way business is handled in the States where, you know, you say something, this is going to happen, you sign a contract and, and it happens. It's not that way in Haiti. You know, just to take a simple example, in order for me to get a lot of contractual work in Haiti, especially with NGOs, I definitely had to have my patent, my patent, and I had to pay my taxes. 
And when I first started, I remember asking people, well, um, you know, how do I go about doing this? How do I get a patent? How do I get a patent? How, do, how much does it cost? And blah, blah, blah. And of course, in Haiti, everybody has a cousin who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows mm-hmm. somebody. And I thought to somebody, and he's like, oh, yeah, I can, I'll get this patent for you. Well, you know, we won't do it in Port-au-Prince. We'll do it in Lil' Gun, and then you could switch it to Port-au-Prince later on, and blah, blah, blah. And you got to go to DJE in Lil' Gun. And I'm like, well, how much is it going to cost? He's like, oh, it's going to cost oh, oh, $7,000. I'm like, oh, okay. I'll call you back tomorrow. I'll call you back later. Mm-hmm. And you know what I did? I went to the DJE on Delma. The DJE is a tax office on Delma. I asked them how much I needed for a patent and what were the qualifications, what documentation I needed. They told me, went back home, went to the bank, got some money, went back there the next day, and within the day, I got my, my patent within the day for about 500 bucks. Wow. Okay? I did that. I got that done without listening to somebody. You have to understand, you're asking people for, um, you're asking people for advice a lot of Haitians for this advice that they've never done. They've never, they've never opened up a business and had to get a patent. Uh-huh. Yeah. They've never, you know, they're not the people to ask. So do your own research. So that's all that just to say, do your own research. Do your own explore, exploring. Find out on your own what you need to do. Don't use people as a crush. There are people, you know, people, there's a lot of bureaucracy in Haiti when yeah. it comes yeah. to getting, a, you know, I, I spent the first two months trying to get a license and trying to get a car that I bought in my name. You know, there was a lot of bureaucracy there. Um, and it took two months to do. But you've got to sort of just go and do it yourself. A lot of people will try to pay somebody to do it for them. And I highly suggest, at least for the first time, not to do that, but to go through it yourself so you can actually see and understand what the process is. Mm-hmm. I highly suggest that. A lot of people, I remember one year going to the tax office to pay my taxes. There was a woman in front of me, a woman, Haitian woman who had grown up in Haiti, lived in Haiti all her life. And she went up to try to pay her taxes. And they said, well, this is how much you owe. And she was, she was asking, well, why? Because the person that she had gotten the year before and maybe the year before that to pay her taxes in, took the money from her went and got a copy of the receipt or of the tax form made and handed it over to her as if he had paid the taxes. He just kept wow. the whole receipt. Wow. So he had to pay not only for that year, for that for the current year, but the year before and the year before that. Dang. And this guy, of course, he disappeared. He took the money and he's gone. Wow. He's completely gone. He's completely gone. Do the stuff yourself. Mm-hmm. Until you really understand or until you really have somebody who works with you and is on your side and who understands that you trust, do everything yourself so you understand. People, there are no shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Haiti is difficult and there are no shortcuts. Mm-hmm. There are no shortcuts to learning how to do all of this. Mm-hmm. Chris, I know you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yes. I, I totally, <laughs> totally oh. agree. And that's one of the things I advise folks is that, um, uh, you know, you really need to First, I'll be there. I like I like you with that first example with this person saying three months and he's out. No, no, you got to be there much yeah. longer. And then, and on top of that, you have to uh, really do your best. So very slowly, like I, I, one of my first unpalais, I say it took me two years to register my business because right. you know I had to very methodically find someone, shop around, uh, and and learn first not only firsthand but also through everyone and their mother and their mother who has a contact 
mm-hmm. to try to get my, my my patent done as legally as possible, right? As legally right. as I can, right. you know, you know, to to to, to get it done, and, and it's and it's very difficult to find that right contact that will usher you through that process the legal way, right? right. Without the uh, to minimize it under the table, and that's really really where you, there's no other way to do it other than to conversate, be there, ask around. Um, and of course my, you know, since I've been through it, you know, folks reach out to me, I, tr- I try to help facilitate them with my contacts because I know right. they're yeah. upstanding, upstanding, uh, uh, you know, folks who will get the job done without, you know, screwing you down, uh, down the tail end. Sure. But it is certainly, certainly very difficult. I don't know, Mark, you got any similar sort of experiences? <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, 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 in the NGO world, um, for my for my organization, it took us over six or seven years to finally get all of our paperwork. Um, right. And that's because yeah. you know we, we wanted wow. to do it the, the right way. We could have gotten sure. it much faster. Um, also, you know, who knows whether it would have been right or wrong? But we, you know, doing it the the proper way took a very long time. And so there's always that balance. That balance of trying to you know figure out okay, I need this done. Do I go the long way? Um, or you know, I try to take a shortcut, and like you said, Pascal, sometimes taking a shortcut in Haiti will actually take you a long way. Exactly, it'll bite you. It'll bite you in the butt in the end. In, in the exactly. end, it'll bite you. Now you mentioned uh, NGO. If, if anyone who's planning on working with NGOs, they're doing a lot of due diligence now before yeah. they hire people because there's a lot of nepotism. Um, yeah. They want several bids, you know, the whole nine. And even when I started doing this for USAID, they weren't so strict. But they wanted me to continue with them for another year, uh, do some other some additional videos for them. And, you know, and I thought, oh, good, you know, great. I'll get some more gigs from them. No, no, no. I had to go through the process all over again. Um, wow. They, you know, the, the, the contractual process all over again. They had to get several bids. They ended up going with me, which I was very, very uh, pleased with. But it wasn't easy, even the second time around. And because yeah. of all of the corruption um, that exists in Haiti, um, if all, most, if not all of the NGOs are not following this path. Um, they want to make sure that they are in affairs with someone who's on the up and up. They won't, sure. they won't do business with just any, anybody. Sure. Mm-hmm. Very tricky, sure. very tricky. And so, and so that's, that's, that's a, 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 you know, a great, you know, point where, you know, again, someone who's reaching out to you and, and that's one of the first, you know, one of the first things I ask, I tell someone is, hey, how, how often have you been visiting? Right, even you, you, even with your early experiences, you were coming in out of Haiti for you know ages before. Like you know, you, yeah. as you mentioned for years yeah. before, you were spending you know, as long as you could a week here, right. weekend there, coming in, reengaging, and so it wasn't as much of a shock to mm-hmm. you when you transitioned. That's one of the first things I tell folks: is make right. sure yeah. you're transitioning. I eased into it. I mm-hmm. eased into it. Right. Exactly. You have to ease into it. You know, you know the, the negative stories you hear about people. In fact, there was. <laughs> Uh, I won't mention her name, but but you know her, Pascal. Okay. Um, <laughs> she's someone you and I met uh, at um, uh, Basalik. Uh, I know who you're talking about. You know who I'm talking about, about. <laughs> right? And this woman just uh, when we first when I first met her, she was like, "Yeah, I left. I don't know where's the text or something. I left, and I'm coming back. And yeah, I'm I'm here. I just moved in, and yeah, just so much energy. And I'm like, cool." And literally, right, you know, I don't know if you were there when I was, I was speaking to her. I was like, so tell me, like, how often were you coming? No, I've never really been here. I'm like, and I, 
Do you have any yeah, family yeah. here? To come? No, no family here. Don't even know I'm here or don't even. Da, da, da. Mm. And, I, and I, these are red flags to me. I'm like, huh, interesting. You're literally, so yeah. basically she had just on a whim moved. In right. fact, she was looking for work. She was looking for work, remote right. work, but she was just looking. So she literally came with, with a plan or with income. She just literally sort of sold her, her, you know, life, you know, her materials and just moved out here. And I'm like, good luck. Right? I didn't, I, you know, I'm not worth the negative Nancy. I said, good luck. And guess what happened? Guess what happened? Uh, about two months ago, come to find out, you know, she was posting on somebody else about how difficult Haiti is and talking so bad about Haiti. And, and I was like, so what happened? You know, are you okay? What's going on? I messaged her privately and she said, oh no, I left. I left because yeah. I, I just, you know, hey, it's so rough and, and people are so mean and, and folks are just always looking for a handout and I'm just, I just got tired of it. I moved back. And, and see, these are the people who talk, who, who frustrate me, honestly, who they mm. talk so bad about Haiti. Yeah. But, but Haiti is the problem. Haiti is not the problem. <laughs> you have to come with a plan, right? I yeah. mean, yeah. you And that's ultimately what yeah. happened there. Uh, to her. I, I know exactly who you're talking about. I'm, I'm in contact with her. She absolutely loves, she absolutely loves the country. But, you know, the way I look at things is there's a time for everything. You know, you've got to be ready to make that move if mm -hmm. you're going to make it. Mm -hmm. And like we mentioned, you have to ease into it. Mm -hmm. I was easing into it for 10 years. So I knew exactly, what, even though, you know, I learned a lot after I did move there. You know, those 10 years, really, I knew how to find my way around. I knew how things worked. I knew how – there were a lot of things that I was already aware of before I made the plunge. Mm -hmm. And there's a, certainly a, a, a gender aspect, too, that she doubly faced that uh, – because I, I don't think she had a vehicle, right? That's one reason why I'm looking forward yeah. to an early guest to be a, a, a woman who transitioned because she can, they can provide that perspective because I felt she also had – that other sort of layer where, where you, on the other hand, and I know you, I've seen you, you've been, you, you take, you take Facebook lives and you're on the streets, just walking yeah, around, yeah. you're taking, yeah. back -back, <laughs> you're taking motos, you know, and, and the level of comfort is, is, is a hundred percent. Yeah. Right. But it, but it, that level of comfort, it took a while. Mm -hmm. Haiti's very intimidating. Haiti's mm -hmm. very intimidating. Even after I had been going there for, you know, going back and forth for 10 years and then moving there, it's very intimidating, and I had to eat myself into – I had to make myself feel comfortable, you know? And you know, I, the first thing I did was buy a car. But you know what? Every once in a while, the car doesn't work or whatever. I'm tapping I'm on the top top. I'm tapping on a motorcycle. And it took a while to get to the point where I was able to do that without any problem. And now when I go to Haiti, I don't rent a car anymore. I just, you know, I go there, and, hey, I, I, I know how to get around. I know how to get around. What, um, what contributes that level of comfort? Just just getting in there? Because I know, I know folks to this day who who transitioned back and they're scaredy cats, right? They'll, it is. they'll go yeah, out it is. without a driver. It, and it, it's, not it's not, I could be one of those people who I'm there and I, you know, I don't want to go outside. I'm, I need somebody to be, to hold my hand everywhere I go. No, it, you have to make a conscious effort to make yourself comfortable with, getting around and going out and doing whatever it is you do. I mean, Haiti is, you know, you've got to know where to go. You, you can't yeah. just go anywhere. You, you've got to know where to go. And I've taught myself that over the years. I've seen a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, what's funny, it's funny, I got, I got a key on something you said here, Martin, because I'm Mark Pascal. Mm -hmm. You know, Swan just throwing me off. <laughs> <laughs> 
Pascal, is that um, you said that, you know, your time in Haiti, you were very disappointed with, you know, ultimately what happens, right? You know, yes. you came in at a time of, you know, optimism. There has to be something positive. And, and now you, you say, you know what, it's, it's, it's not there. You're very disappointed with what's happened. But yet, you still are someone who is so committed to having a lifestyle that Haiti is a part of it. Haiti, even despite its disappointments, you still, you can't imagine yourself where Haiti isn't a part of the narrative of who Pascal Antoine is. I right? really can. So, so how do you, how do you reconcile that? Bring us home. How does that work where, where there is, cause I, I feel the same way where I am, I've been there three, four years now and, and the, and the economic condition has not improved. Yeah, I'm still gung ho. I'm not, I'm not, I can't imagine myself tonight. So, so talk, talk to me. I understand your perspective of, of where that positive energy comes from. I, you know, I can't say for sure because I have so many friends who just want nothing to do with Haiti and want nothing to, you know, they don't want to go. They don't want to, you know, they've totally given up. On, even people in my family who have totally given up on Haiti. There's something about it that just, I mean, like you said, you know, when I went there in 99, I got bit by the bug. Um, I distinctly remember my sister telling me, oh, you're going through a phase, you're going through a phase. And I distinctly remember myself thinking, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I, it, maybe I am going through a phase, but I, I just don't think so. It just turned my life around. And I don't know. I can't tell you exactly what it is that keeps me going back, but I always feel like even if I don't go back for a while, I feel like I will always be, well, you know, eventually go, go, go back. So let me ask it a different way. Let me ask it different. What are, what are one or two things that have been disappointing? But yet, why is it disappointing enough for you to throw in the towel? Because that's a lot of these folks who quit Haiti. They're like, you know, they, it's hit a threshold where the disappointments over, you know, just kind of push aside whatever positive feeling or desire or, or narrative they have. So what has been one or two things, been, but yet, why isn't it enough to say, you know what, it's enough? Okay, no, okay. So, okay. So, the two things that have been most disappointing to me, number one, is just the government's inability to just get its act together. You know, because when I see Haiti's problems, a lot of people want to blame the people. No, I blame the leadership. I I squarely blame the leadership. And this, and I feel there have been too many missed opportunities. There's too much greediness, uh, mm. too much selfishness within the government ranks. And it trickles down to the people, you know. And last year, like I said, I went to Haiti three times. Every single time. The country was on lockdown. Every single time I went, we were on pay lock mm-hmm. from the beginning, from when I went in February. And I remember tensions started to mount. And I'm used, to, I'm used to that. I'm like, okay, there's going to be a demonstration. It's going to last one or two days, and then it's going to be over. But then it lasted three days and four days. Mm-hmm. Next thing I know, we're in our ninth day. Next thing I know, it's lasting two weeks and three weeks. And, and the same thing, I went back in the summertime. Same thing. I went back in the fall. Even worse. It was even mm-hmm. longer. You know, so that constant treadmill of just doing the, making the same mistakes over and over again, that's, but that's the first thing that's the most disappointing to me. The second thing is the fact, it's related, the fact that, you know, we're very capable people, but we've become, the culture has become that of beggars. Mm. We're expecting everybody else to do stuff for us. I remember on one of my gigs, we had to go to, we were filming something, we had to go to, um, to Port de in the north of Haiti. We had to go drive to Port de 
and the road after you leave um after you leave that same after you leave uh uh what's that city that big city before borders there anyway on the way up um it's very uh the road's not the road's terrible you know there are a lot of bridges that are not up to par and stuff like that and i remember one of my crew we're in the car we're driving over these bridges that are about to fall apart and he's like oh white people are supposed to come here and fix it for us i'm like what are you talking about why can't we fix it for ourselves automatically automatically you know the the whole the whole culture has changed into one uh when we say we're waiting for everybody else to do it for us and you know you know that and i'm disappointed with that and i think that is one of the main things that's holding us back no doubt Mm -hmm. And, but yet, yeah, that's not in that. But still, you still see, you keep that independent of still, your. You know, I'm, 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 I haven't even been. I haven't even been through half of the stories I've, I've, that are things that I've experienced. But mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I just keep, I keep on coming back. Okay. I keep on coming back, and I think what I do is, I'll tell you something. When I early on, when I was in Haiti, I had a very, and this is when I first moved there. I had an apartment. I had a very bad experience at a restaurant um, where some bandits came in. And this is a friend of mine's restaurant. Some bandits came in. Uh, they shot in front of us. They shot the uh, security guard. They stole all my money, my cell phone, everything. Um, and this was when I had first moved back. Mm-hmm. And for the first for two weeks after, and I was there, I had two weeks to go. I was working on a music video and I had two weeks to go and I remember thinking to myself, oh, I got to leave tomorrow. This is, I just, it, you know, I have to leave. I've got to get out of here. And I remember calling my sister um, and told her what happened. And she said, you know what? She said, Pascal, what happened to you? She's like, it's really terrible, but that could have happened to you in Brooklyn. No doubt. No doubt. And it just gave me, she just, it just gave me some perspective and I was a little paranoid the next couple of days after that happened. And then I just kind of planted both my feet back on earth. And I was like, you know what? I came here to do something. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to do it. I stayed for the next two weeks. I got the video, the music video done. And I, you know, and I, and I eventually um, came back to the States for a little while. But it was, I just put things into perspective and I see things for what they are. I'm not going to let something happen and then just totally get, get scared. Great point. I mean, I got I got mugged at Knife Point uh, in Chicago. That's something I never really shared. But I don't throw Chicago out. I don't say Chicago is a place I'm never going back. I just I just I'm just in the wrong place, wrong time, and 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 then kind of comparted comparted there. Um, so I do want to think. I do want to transition now to I guess really bringing home you know mm-hmm. your your professional life. So how you know what sort of advice? Because as you you sound like you've had some incredible successes. In terms of getting contracts with and opportunities with NGOs, with OAVCT and a bunch of different. So if someone's looking to get in the media, right, mm-hmm. you know, break that down. How would you advise someone, you know, to how do they go about finding opportunities? Um, and then and then ultimately, you know, how do you execute it given, you know, some difficulties that, that the difficulties that exist in Haiti? Network, network, network. Haiti is a country of Munpa, the people you know. Munpa. Get to know people. There are conferences. Um, you know, do some research. See what's going on. Go to radio stations. Go to television stations. Meet people. Go to events. Meet people. Talk to people. 
Let people know what you do. Half of the work that I did was word of mouth, with people seeing work that I'd done before and saying, wow, could you do this for me? Mm-hmm. Could you do that? I didn't, I didn't take out Facebook ads or whatever, <laughs> you know, but a lot of the stuff that I got was from people talking to people and the people who liked the work that I did would recommend me to other people and, you know, and, and, and you, you, you foster relationships. Um, you foster relationships and you go, and you go from there and you go from there. Um, I, easily 90% of the work that I did was from, was, was due to being referred, was from references. Mm-hmm. Easily. So it's, that's very important. Very, very important. Get to know people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, one, one other thing um, to, to piggyback off of that, Pascal, for, for people, especially young people nowadays who are very, you know, we have much of a more um, encouraging culture nowadays where people are considering moving back to Haiti. Um, before someone moves back, um, or before someone comes to Haiti on an extended period of time, in order to prepare, what would you say are some of the top things that they would need to either understand or get a skill set, or what are some of those preparatory things that they would need to do before um, making a transition back home? Okay, the first thing I would say is learn the lay of the land. Learn the lay of the land. If your Creole is not up to snuff, Practice. If you're Haitian, of Haitian descent, practice with your family. <laughs> if you're not, you know, practice with your mm-hmm. friends or, or learn the lay of the land. People respect you a lot more if you mm-hmm. speak Creole like them. When I first got there, I had a little diaspora Creole. Um, I say parlay Creole en uh, Not that bad, but, <laughs> you know, now I still have an accent. People know, but I think when people look at me now, when they hear me now, they're like, okay, he probably left when he was young or something or whatever. But you know, I, I'm good. My grandma's good. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm, pr- I'm proud of the of the um, of the progress that I've made. So learn that. Learn the lay of the land as and as much as you can. Um, just learn about the different organizations that you might have to deal with. And and thirdly, I would say, if you're going to deal, if you're selling to Haitians, learn the market. Understand. Mm-hmm what they like and what they don't like. When I was doing music videos, for instance, um, I learned that, you know, the taste is very different. It, so a music video that I do for Haitians in Haiti is very different from a music video that I would do for Americans here in the United States. Yeah. One, one example, for instance, Haitians don't like to see Haiti in videos. They we don't want to see anything that really, they, they want a video that looks like it's Haiti, but that looks like it, it was filmed somewhere else. I don't know. <laughs> so I did a lot of, but me, I love to see the Timashans in the video. I love to see that stuff. I want to, I want Haiti to be reflected in the video. But I noticed that a lot of the videos that I made that show the Timashan or that show this or that show that, you know, um, the diaspora really enjoyed it, but Haitians yeah. in Haiti, it, they, you know, it was completely different for them. They took it very, very differently. So those mm. kinds of things you got to learn. So learn your market. Find out what they want. So whatever it is you're selling, if you're selling to patients in Haiti, learn the do's and don'ts or learn about what their tastes are uh, based on, you know, depending on what you're selling to them, if you're selling to Haitians. Yeah. Now, where where's the where do you see the prospects are for media in Haiti? Like, Where do you see someone could come in from the diaspora and exploit and potentially 
uh, again, it's not becoming necessarily rich, but at least perhaps do enough to sustain themselves or maybe sustain themselves in addition to another hustle. Like, wh- where do you see the aspects of Avenue may be in media? When I use the word media, but I'm very broad, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I use it in, in just every sense that may get you on camera, from being an artist, from being a videographer, from being a special effects. I mean, so it's very broad. So where do you see that opportunity may be for, for someone looking to come in and impact in the country? Okay. When it comes to media, you know, Haiti is a huge canvas. Haiti is very unique in terms of the things that can be represented, that can be shown on television or, or in painting or whatever, even uh, even on radio or, or, or podcasting. And that, to me, is not exploited enough. It's not exploited enough. One of the things I think, one of the big advantages, um, Chris, that you have coming in more recently than I have is is, is that this remote work is really exceptional now. The speed of the internet in Haiti, and one of the reasons that kept me from moving to Haiti sooner than I did was that I knew I couldn't do anything with the inferior speed of the internet that I got. But once it got to the point where, hey, you know, I could, I could work with this, that's when I decided, okay, I'll throw my hat in and I definitely moved to Haiti. So you've got, the, you know, even if you're working in Haiti, but your market is the rest of the world, you can do remote work in Haiti where you have so many resources visually and otherwise available to you. So that's something that I think people can definitely take advantage of. And that's something that's definitely changed the playing field. Um, but there's a lot. Haiti is, is virgin business-wise. It's a virgin territory in so many ways. There's so many things that are done in the States and in the rest of the world that are not yet in Haiti that I think there are a million ideas um, that you can do, you know, from Haitian versions of, of, of Uber to, to any anything, anything, as long as it's well implemented and you study your market, it's not everything that you can just port from the United States mm-hmm. to Haiti and think it's going to work just because it works in the U.S. It's a completely different market. People have different things available to them um, in Haiti than they do in the States. So you've got to do your research first. But it is definitely virgin territory in terms of opening up new businesses, having new business models. But you've got to do your research. Now, now talking about like what your what you have direct exposure with, have completed, and now sort of stepping into is because it sounds like at first you were certainly domestic facing. You were working with CFI. You were working with Oavesite. You were, I saw that yeah. that you did a, a great little yeah. segment for Chicken Fiesta, mm-hmm. which if, if you love that restaurant. Mm-hmm. Right. right yeah. And now you're sort of transitioning to working with internationals coming into Haiti. Right. Yes. And so now you have that other face where you're mm-hmm. more international, more sort of remote. But then so right. so I don't know from from those two angles, you know, mm-hmm. specific to what you've done. I don't know. Do you feel there's a, still a lot of opportunity domestically in, in the sense that you've been doing things? Or do you, would you ex- expound someone to really more focus on that international side of things or mix it up like you're doing? How, how would you? You know, mix, mix, mix it up. You need, you need several income streams. Definitely mix it up because one thing will dry up and you'll always have something else to fall back on. One of the things that I've done here, and again, I'm a media dude. One of the things that I've done here, um, which have been, it's been pretty good for me, is I've been doing, I've been getting calls for a lot of, um, um, voiceover work. Uh, especially Creole voiceovers. My last big uh, voiceover job was for a company based in China, believe it or not. <laughs> for a company based in China, wow. based in China, and we did it completely remotely. 
Um, I would record for them. I would send them the files. They would make changes or say, could you stay this this way or whatever? Um, and I would re-record it for them. And, you know, it, it was a lot of text. It was for a pharmaceutical firm. Um, uh, took, a, took a while, but it worked out. It worked out. I mean, there's just so much that you can do. There's just so much. And technology today is just opening up the Opening up the world, and another thing, I did. I was doing voiceover work in Haiti, and the people I was doing the voiceover work for, they didn't know I was in Haiti. All they knew is that I was, you know, my voice was somewhere out on the yeah. internet. They would, you know, we would we would we would email each other or, you know, uh, talk to each other um, every day to figure out what we were going to do for that particular day. I would record my files. Um, as long as you have the right equipment, you send it to them, and boom, and you get paid. Um, you know, so uh, there's so many ways of working these days, especially remotely, and especially now with um, this pandemic going on. I mean, I, working remotely is definitely going to get a boost. Absolutely right. going to get a boost. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We're going to realize not only that it exists, but that it's a very efficient way of doing things uh, these days. So, yeah, that's something that I think people should look into, whether you're here or in Haiti um, and Haiti now have the infrastructure that a lot of things can be done remotely. Just you know, look into that and take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I know. I know we're kind of closing in, but I, I had one more thing uh, I wanted to raise with you. Uh, Chris really comes in from a business perspective, and right. um, I I come in from an NGO perspective. But it seems, Pascal, that you've been able to successfully merge both worlds. Um, you've done a lot of business. Um, you've done a lot of work with NGOs. How have you been able to find that balance? What has what have been some of the challenges? A lot of people coming in. Yeah, I'll be honest with of, you. My first mm-hmm. my, my first love is is, is media or anything um, creative. Um, uh, business is not my love, but it comes with the territory. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it comes with territory, so you just sort of have to learn that. Uh, you know, going along the way, you have to learn that along the way. Uh, there's definitely business involved. Um, but my first love is media and making pretty things <laughs> and mm-hmm. doing some, making creative, you know, putting creative projects together and getting creative stuff, stuff out in front of people's, in front of people's eyes. Um, as far as how I've balanced it, you know, you just do, I've just taken things in stride and, and learned things as I went along and implemented things as I had to learn, as I had to implement them. Mm-hmm. So, so in, in your, in your experience, mm-hmm. um, especially as we, as, as Chris, both Chris and I believe that ultimately the way for Haiti, um, out of its misery is enterprise. Right. Um, right. <clears throat> have you seen, through your work, through media, um, through the media you've done for NGOs and some of the things you've done in business realm, um, have you seen some of that light begin to shine? Have you seen potential for that light um, to come? Yeah. To come? Mm-hmm. I've definitely seen potential for the light. I've done a lot of shooting, uh, especially when I was at CFI. We used to do business profiles for local businesses. I know, Chris, you do a lot of that stuff, which is I love looking at your, your work. Um, I've been up to the trade-free zones in the uh, in the north of Haiti in the Capetian area. Uh, done some retrospectives of what things that are going up there, and then again in Sonati, uh, which is the the uh, zone in, in uh, industrial zone in in Port-au-Prince. Mm-hmm. And it's there. 
it's there. The only problem is, as we always say, you know, you take three steps forward and four steps back or two steps forward and three steps back and um, things are always sort of knocked off balance. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's there. It's definitely there. It's definitely there. And there are people with some excellent ideas that are doing some great things. I love it. I love it. And certainly you, you've, you've really helped uh, push the culture certainly uh, in the right direction with a lot of content you've done in Haiti Exchange. And so and the, the, what you provided today uh, has been very helpful, Pascal. So I want to thank you so much for, for providing those details. Um, you know, and, and I don't know what, what, you know, I want to give you really the last word here. Like what, what sort of final thoughts do you want to parlay to, to the audience in terms of just your experience and, and your, your background in the country? Like what, what final thoughts do you have? I'll tell you, I'm in the States now. Um, definitely my first <laughs> this COVID stuff is done. <laughs> I'll be probably rushing back to Haiti to do, to do some stuff. Um, I'm right now I'm working on, um, I got a call from a good friend of mine who has built a building in Tiguav and she wants to do a, uh, put together a radio station there. And so I'm going to be doing a lot of work with her, but we figured, you know, because everyone's sort of on lockdown right now, we're probably going to start very soon so look for a lot of uh live posts uh coming from the states and eventually eventually from haiti i've got a friend in haiti who i i mentioned this to you actually he was a, a, a an employee of mine is doing some really viral news videos of what's going on in haiti right now so we're gonna we're gonna be partnering and trying to get uh shed some light on 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 those things um lots of stuff coming up um for anyone who's thinking of doing business uh in haiti or actually moving to haiti again learn the lay of the land um understand the culture understand from a business perspective what it takes to actually do something in haiti and remember also you don't have to move to haiti to do this today you don't have to be in haiti to do business and to do business in haiti you don't have to physically be there things are changing very fast so it's up to you to keep abreast of what the new technologies are and what the new what people need what the what, what markets are asking for whether they be in haiti or outside of haiti you know it's the, Things are changing so fast. I don't even need to mention. Um, I can't even mention and say how fast. things are changing extremely fast. But but so Pascal, I want to thank you so much for for yeah, being yeah. part of the show. Um, Mark, any any final comments before? God, I mean, I think Pascal, you've you've Mark. given us a wealth a wealth of knowledge. Um, thank you so much, and uh, really good to hear from you. You, I think you're just a generation or two before. Chris and I, and so it's really good to, to get your perspective. Um, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this. Thank you guys so much, and I, I guess I'll, I'll see you guys in Haiti. Yeah, we, we, what you, you, what you, are what we call an OG. Listen, guys, it, it's been it's been a fantastic episode for for everyone listening. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, do make sure you you know we're on everything now. We're on Apple. We're on Google. We're yeah. on Spotify. We're on some stuff I, I even know was a thing, like mini podcasts, overcast, a bunch of other stuff. I didn't even know we're on all of them. So wherever you're maybe listening and watching this from, uh, do make sure you hit a like. Uh, if you can hit us with five stars, some of them are just five star rated. Hit us with five star. If you want to leave a comment on some of these, leave a comment. All these things help us sort of get above the, the noise and, and sort of allow us to bubble up and, and, and get 
this podcast to to the masses. Because the reason, one of the reasons why we do it in English is so we can have a much more inclusive body uh, to to be able to understand what it means, you know, to be Haiti. Because it's not just about having uh, Haitians come and 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 be part of it. You know, we live in a global world, and it's going to take global actors to be able to impact the change Haiti needs. And that's one of the reasons why we. Do this English, and we share these stories for you to be able to understand it and share them yourself. So, if you enjoyed this episode, enjoy this. Do share it as well. Uh, we're going to be back very soon with another new episode, uh, especially in these COVID times. I can't do my usual media content that I usually do, so we're going to do a lot more of these podcasts uh, through this era of COVID. So, you know, look out for it. Uh, I'm very happy if you stuck stuck out to the very end very happy that you did hope you gained a lot from it all right and listen listen and you know thanks mark thanks pascal and so we're back at it again we'll be back at it again yes sir